Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fin and Forge podcast. My name is Ryan Gentry. I will be your host for the day. Today, I have a very important guest from a very important group. If you have not heard of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, this is me trying to introduce you to someone that is going to try and keep our public lands in public hands, as their saying goes. They're going to try to keep access for hunting, fishing, spearfishing, all the things that we love to do, all the things that we do for recreation, and you know the opportunity to go out and partake in the resources that nature gives us. Um, there are a lot of people who want to see that shoved behind a door. They don't believe that you should be able to take those resources. They think that all nature should be seen from a railing or on a movie screen, but I digress. Uh, Devin O'Day, he's the chapter coordinator for California. He is spearheading all of the initiatives around California's estate. He kind of lets me in on how they're setting things up and how we as spearfisher people can get involved and make sure our voices are heard. These people do a lot on the legislation end. They do a lot on the actual going out and managing wildlife and, you know, helping take numbers and helping he gets into things like guzzlers, which are big water tanks that they're putting out in the desert to help animals thrive and survive. They are true conservationists. They are here to help us, and I want to do everything I can and get as many people on board to help them. We appreciate you being here. I appreciate all the support we've gotten for the show, and we'll keep pumping these things out as long as you guys keep listening. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, like, comment, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to comment. It really does help us get into that algorithm and help us pump this thing up so that we can do more and interview more exciting people and uh, also do more good in things like conservation, help give spear fishermen and all the people that follow Fin and Forge a voice because in the end, that's how we're going to keep enjoying nature. So after this quick ad, we're going to jump straight into the show. I, again, appreciate you being here. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Neptonics. Now, I love my local dive shop as much, maybe more than anyone else, but Sometimes they just don't have everything I need. When that happens, my go-to spot is neptonics.com. Whether you're looking for a new spear gun, you're looking for spear gun parts, getting creative, want to build your own, they have everything that you need for that. They have wetsuits, different types of gloves, different types of gear, travel gear. So if you're headed out on that big trip, you're going to find your sport tubes, your fin bags, all that kind of stuff on there. And they have great customer service. They have free shipping, over $99. See right up at the top. It's always there. And for Finn and Forge listeners, you're going to get 10% off your next order. To take part in the offer, you're going to set up your cart, head to checkout, and as soon as you see the discount code bar, you are going to put in Finn and Forge 10. It's all one word, and I do have to point out that the and is an ampersand. It is one of those little eight-looking things with the leg coming off the side, little lopsidey. That's what you're going to put in. You're not going to spell out and. So it's Finn, ampersand, symbol, forage 10 and that's gonna get you 10 percent off on your next order you can take that money you can put it into beer on your next trip maybe you put something a little something extra in your cart whatever you want to do but we are very happy to have teamed up with them i've had great experiences with ordering things from them in the past and we are always stoked to connect our listeners with great companies well, Devin, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. We've had a couple experiences back and forth, you know, through the pint nights and things like that, but we haven't really got a chance to chat, so this will be good. Um, 
why don't you start out with how you got involved with the backcountry hunters and anglers? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me here, and it's great to dive into a few more of these things beyond the pint nights and and other projects. So I think you know, for a lot of people, they the the journey is you kind of start you start and you want to harvest something, you want to go out and be successful with uh, your bow or your rifle or your shotgun or whatever you're doing. And, um, that's kind of the main driver, put some food on the table. And, and that was absolutely the case for me. Uh, I was really interested about wild food and I wanted to try and procure my own and, um, have a healthy, sustainable food source that I could feel proud of going out there and putting in the, the miles to, to be successful. And, um, I think from there, you know, with, with BHA, I started to understand a few more layers to the equation and started looking at some of the conservation issues of getting out there on, on public land and, and all this land that we do have access to that we're allowed to hunt and fish on that we can go and, and hike and backpack and, um, explore and look for, for wild game. And so, um, I started to understand those layers a little bit more through BHA and how some of these things are interconnected and how we really do need to stand up for the public lands and the access that we have and, and the wildlife and the water quality and all these things are really something that I had taken for granted. Um, I just, I, you know, just enjoyed them as a, as a, you know, teenager and, and, um, young adult. And I think the more and more that I realized all those experiences, uh, you know, it was important to stand up for those public lands, stand up for the wildlife and, and for water quality and to make sure that um, I could continue to use them and, and appreciate them. And then for generations to come that we could also all continue to appreciate and use the, the these lands. Yeah, definitely. And I, I agree with you. One of the reasons that I got into the BHA and one of the ways I got connected with you is because the BHA at least from the outside, right? Looks like a, I, I called it a, a land access advocacy group, but at the same time, a conservation group. Could you possibly maybe expand, if that even makes sense to you, maybe expand on what the BHA does exactly? So I, I think to your point of, of BHA being a land access organization, um, with conservation, um, overlaid. I think that's, that's not too far off. I mean, um, we have to have these places to, to hunt and fish. Um, we have to have these public lands to, to be able to recreate on. And so that is a huge mission of, of BHA is, is public access. I mean, one of the, the key kind of slogans of the organization is public land owner. Um, and these are all, you know, there's millions and millions of public land that you own as a citizen, as a, re- you know, resident, um, someone who's here in the country who, who wants to get out and enjoy these public lands. They're your public lands. Uh, you just own a very small fraction of it, but, um, together we all do own these lands and they're, they're something that have to be, you know, you have to maintain them. You have to, uh, preserve the access. You have to make sure that, um, we're not fragmenting these lands and, and selling them off and, and developing them or selling them to, um, you know, industry that's going to, to fragment, fragment them and then cut off access to, to large swaths of public land. So that's always going to be a huge part of BHA and what we do and, and advocating for that public land to stay in public hands. Now that's, that's kind of just the foundation, right? That's literally the, the bottom layer of, of the equation. And then from there, we need to make sure that these public lands are 
kept in good shape, that we have good quality water, that we have land um, that is not being polluted, that's not being extracted. We're not, uh, you know, going to have uh, an imbalance in ecosystem. You know, there, the, like I was saying, so the, you know, the public land access is really the foundation. That's, that's where everything stems from. That's where everything begins. And then from there we have, um, you know, looking at, at a whole different, a, a whole number of levels of, of ecosystem management and looking at water quality and looking at wildlife habitat and looking at uh, habitat linkages and migration corridors and connectivity and the ability for uh, wildlife to have quality habitat and also be able to move within their, their ranges um, to have good genetic population mixes so that we're not fragmenting um, one small group here and then they're going to have genetic inbreeding, which is going to reduce their resilience over long terms. So things like that start to add to the layers of conservation and add to the layers of public lands that um, BHA advocates for. And uh, at the same time, it, you know, the conservation element, the stewardship projects, all of that does go into, you know, the, the desire to have healthy populations to be able to hunt and fish um, that are going to be sustained for generations. The North American model of wildlife management um, in, in many, many, many cases has been really lauded as, as one of the most successful um, for a number of species. Like Turkey is a fantastic example. Um, you know, we, in, in the United States, we really brought a lot of species very close to um, the edge. And through the North American model of wildlife management and conservation, we've been able to bring those species back and allow them to flourish and hunt and sustainably harvest them at the same time and allow people to appreciate them and, and feed their families at the same time. Well, and that's, that's the big thing, especially now, right? We're seeing, I think, a lot of animals come back through that same sort of conservation model. But then it's always a fight to get them reintroduced into hunting. Or there's things like that recent black bear hunting ban that fortunately went away. That you're just having bans for the sake of banning things. And either feel-good reasons or because somebody, you know, in that case, maybe reminded them of their teddy bear or whatever it is. But to have a group that is focused on scientifically-based conservation and sustainable practices. And, I mean, I've met a ton of BHA members, and they use that as a, as a point of pride. Not that, well, I'm a hunter and I'm into conservation. It's literally like, oh, no, I, I actually hold myself to the BHA standards. You see the, the bumper stickers like, use the quads God gave you. And whether you're religious or not, that's pretty funny. But it's just putting out that sentiment of like, hey, just because you can go out there doesn't mean you get to destroy it. Doesn't mean that, you know, it's public land and you get to leave your trash everywhere. You have to hold yourself to these standards or else somebody who does want to go out and shut the world off and fence it all in is going to go, look how they destroy this place. Look how they drive their ATVs everywhere and leave trash and leave terrible campsites. We should just shut it down. It's costing too much money. And then the people in government who are all about the money, they um, they tend to agree. So it's, it's great to connect with you guys. And um, I'm looking forward to 
seeing if maybe, and I don't know, this could probably be the next one we jump into, if there's a way to extend that to our coastal regions. Uh, are you guys, are you guys focused at all on like ocean fishing or ocean access or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, California's coastline is, is incredible. And, um, as someone who's, who's been, you know, uh, into spear fishing and diving, you know, abalone diving and, um, shore fishing and kayak fishing for a lot of my life, that's just a huge part of who I am. And so I couldn't be in this position of being the California chapter coordinator. And, um, I couldn't be in this position and not address ocean, uh, issues. And I think BHA in general has, has done like a good amount for public access in that regard. I know on the East coast, um, we, there's been a number of, of laws that BHA has weighed in on just trying to ensure that the public still have access. And in general, I think California is, does pretty good. And there's a lot of really great groups out there doing really fantastic work as far as ensuring that, uh, the public has access to the coast. Um, but it, there's certainly so many more layers to it as far as, um, you know, what type of access, um, how are we managing the resources? How are we, um, doing restoration projects in the ocean? Um, how are we utilizing the different communities and the, the resources that we have and how does the law play into that? And I think, you know, there's a lot of, of change in the ocean. That's relatively new. A lot of MPAs are, 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 are pretty, um, yeah, haven't been around for that long and, there's the decadal review that's coming up in 2022. And I think that's going to be really um, a really valuable insight into this whole system and, and how it's working and how it can be improved. And um, you know, there's, I, I, there's some legislation that's, that's I think being introduced at this point that may come through. That's looking at expanding the restoration capabilities in, in MPAs and, and how we can, you know, not necessarily just block um, this part of the ocean, the same thing goes for the land, you know, like we can't just, you know, say, okay, it's done. We're not going to touch it anymore because, you know, the human impact, uh, on lands and waters is great. And we need to be stewards in the environment. And sometimes, uh, you know, we've set things that are in balance. And so we can't just assume that if we don't touch it, it's going to be fine. Um, because there are so many different layers and invasive species and, um, you know, from, from what we're, we're putting into the ocean and these ecosystems, we're causing an imbalance. So we really need to have, have a hand in, in managing that. So, you know, I want to continue to advocate through, through BHA for those sound management practices that, that are looking at the best available science that we're, we're not making gut, uh, emotional decisions, but we're using the, the agencies, we're using the, uh, the postdocs and, and all of the institutions that are, you know, dedicating their lives to these issues we're using that data to develop sound practices that will support the ecosystems that will you know kind of combat some issues that we have with invasive species but we'll also um, allow for the sustainable harvest of, of resources from the ocean or uh for people that want to get out and, and provide themselves with a quality food source so there's tons of layers and, and there's a lot of nuance. And I think the more that you dive into BHA and what we do is that, um, we don't just have blanket statements. I mean, where there's, there's a lot of nuance to what we're doing and we're really trying to look at each issue individually in each region and, and, um, try to bring in the, the best voices and the, um, the best 
available science to help make management decisions and then utilize our grassroots network to support those decisions and and hopefully uh, improve these ecosystems and improve the, the ability to hunt and fish uh, from a sustainable standpoint. Now, I know that MPAs are always touchy, like especially with the older spear fishermen. And any time that area is taken away, especially when it included one of your favorite fishing spots or whatever it is, it's always an emotional response. One of the big things about MPAs that they always throw out is that having an area that is untouched, that is unmeddled with by humans and spear fishermen and fishermen, is that it gives fish the area to breed and spawn and not be messed with. Because obviously it also cuts down on a lot of human interaction like diving and spearfishing because there's no reason to go there. So that, that that's one of the thoughts that people have behind MPAs is that that area will allow fish to thrive and then those fish will go out into other areas. Has there ever been any sort of study on land that you guys are aware of that you might be aware of that has that same kind of thought process? It's a tough one and I can't, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a career scientist and so I, I can't provide any like personal or professional um, wisdom as far as the efficacy of, you know, setting aside lands and does that support the fish populations adjacent to those lands or the wildlife populations adjacent to those lands? I mean, I think on, you can certainly see uh, when you're exploring public land versus private land, if you have public lands that are heavily pressured and you look next door at the private land where the person doesn't hunt, uh, the deer are smart. They know they go to the private land. They don't feel pressure. And that may be a little bit different than, than the fishing um, analogy, but there's, there's probably some parallels there. I think what, what is lacking, and, um, and I think a lot of this is just because we're, in, we're so new in a lot of these MPAs is the data. So uh, that's why this decadal review is going to be really valuable because I think we'll be able to include some more data. And, and hopefully we can look at the issue from a sound um, scientific approach of, you know, here's concrete results and here's what's working and here's not not what here's what's not working and you know maybe there's there's some good examples of of mpas that have limited take that are just as effective as mpas that are no take i don't know that for sure but um that would certainly be you know i would be interested to see that so that we can look at some of the places where you can't currently hunt and fish and maybe they'll allow limited take or maybe they'll determine in some of these other places that um, the limited take is is not working out. So those are the types of things where I think we want to continue to look at these issues and have these reviews um, and continue to to bring in the people that are dedicating their lives to studying this so that we we aren't just making blanket statements and we're codifying law and then saying like, okay, now we're we're, we're not gonna touch it anymore. It's done. Um, that's I don't I think the ecosystems are changing so rapidly. And, um, just coming back to invasive species, like we can't just assume that, um, since we're not there, everything's going to be great. Uh, I, I, I strongly believe that in all of, and you know, on the land and the ocean, we need to have some element of, of, you know, monitoring and, and making sure that we're, there's not a great imbalance. And, uh, you know, for, for the ocean, we see certain species, you know, and in places you've got urchins that are decimating, 
um, kelp populations and you've got these great urchin barrens that are coming up and, um, you know, you've got invasive weeds like sargassum coming, popping up in areas that are choking out kelp forests. And these are really imbalancing ecosystems. There's a lot of good data that shows that we need to do something about it. And so if we allow this to some of these species to take over a marine preserve, then that's not going to be the result that we're looking for either. So there's got to be nuance. There's got to be restoration and monitoring and data collection. And, you know, that's something that I would love to see a direction. I would love to see BHA members be able to get engaged in and to go is to when they're a field, when they're out in the spearfishing in the ocean or when they're on land to have the, the knowledge and the communication with, with the various uh, agencies and institutions that are studying some of these issues to be able to report on invasive species and to, to be uh, collecting data and helping to inform some of these decisions because uh, um, you know, citizen science programs can be incredibly valuable. And the more data that we can add to um, agencies and the institutions that are studying it, the more valuable and the better the science is going to be. You know, it's just the more the more data we have, the better we're going to be in the long run. Have you seen anything come across the BHA desk about any of the urchin culling or the kelp restoration on our coast? So I've been with BHA officially just for about three or four months as the California chapter coordinator. So I'm I'm absolutely still getting my bearings and, and understanding all the the layers and, and elements that we've been involved with, and I'm trying to do that as quickly as possible. I don't I don't know if BHA is weighed in on any any of those issues from a, a formal capacity. I've certainly been engaging in conversations with with different groups. Um, you know, I had a conversation with Reebcheck about some of the urchin culling and, and restoration projects that they have and challenges that they have to implementing restoration projects. So from a, an official capacity, I don't I don't believe BHA has engaged there, at least in California. I could be wrong. Um, you know, we may have done some work in the past that I've uh, that I missed just when I was a volunteer. And um, I'm certainly working to, to familiarize myself with all that. But I'm absolutely having conversations with with different groups that are engaged in that type of work just to learn more about what's happening and and how uh, we can work with the Department of Fish and Wildlife and some of these other NGOs to implement restoration projects um, and add those layers into some of the events that we're doing. So, you know, if we're doing an introduction to spearfishing event on a mentorship program, we're trying to educate people and help them get started on the right foot and understand, you know, all the, the nuances of, of take and, and, and what species you, you're allowed to take and just helping people get on their way. Uh, you know, I'd love to layer in those conservation projects where, you know, here's, it's a, whether it's a data monitoring project or if it's an urchin culling project, um, adding in those those elements and sort of bringing in the whole, the big picture of conservation. So you're not just going out there and, and shooting your dinner, which is fine, which is something we all do all the time. And um, there, that's, that's the beauty of it. That's why we really get after it. But I think when you do add in some of the, the bigger picture and the conservation and when you can start to understand the ecosystem as a larger whole, it just gives you a greater appreciation. And from that appreciation, I think um, for, it, it's going to motivate people to want to be more engaged and to protect these places that they enjoy recreating and whether or not they're hunting and fishing, but, you know, especially for that community that, that BHA represents. Absolutely. Um, so I guess one of the things that, because one of the reasons I have you on is because I'm trying to, bolster your membership i'm <laughs> like I, I love what you guys do and um you know i've been uh one of one of my friends ryan hughes 
was actually the uh, he started the chapter over there at UNR in Nevada. And so I kind of got an earful of what he was doing all the time just because uh, he ended up going to the state house with Remy Warren and doing a lot of, you know, that kind of action. So I think one of the best ways to draw in new members would be just to have you kind of go over some of the things you guys are doing, what people could jump in and help with, or even if they don't have time to be boots on the ground trying to, you know, go to the state house and fight for certain things. How would their membership money and donations be used to help conservation and public land access? I'm with you, man. Okay, 100%. Cool. So, so BHA as an organization, and, and I can speak for the California chapter because that's um, you know my position as a coordinator here in the state. Um, we really operate on, on a few different levels. One of them is the, the legislative ag- advocacy, the grassroots platform, where we seek to inform our members and supporters of issues and legislation that is going to impact public lands, waters, and wildlife. And, um, and we advocate for, for those good bills and we oppose the bills that are going to restrict access or restrict, you know, poorly uh, guided principles that aren't science-based management of wildlife. They're emotional um, bills to, you know, do things like prevent the bear hunting ban where there's no, there's no science-based management of, of that decision. That's, you know, bears are very, uh, the numbers are, are increasing um, for the last three or four decades and the numbers are are well, well above target populations from CDFW. And in fact, the last few years they have, we haven't even hit the quota for hunting. So, uh, in general, the, the department would like to see, you know, that quota hit because that's the, the management target to make sure that this is a healthy population. I think what people don't understand there, and I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but, um, you know, when, when you don't, when we're not managing some of these populations, there can be imbalance. There can be overpopulations then, you're going to be more susceptible to disease. You're going to wipe out their, their food source. And so the animals will suffer one way or another and, and nature will correct itself. And so the goal is to kind of prevent that suffering and to keep the balance. So to, to go come back from that tangent, um, the work that we do, we have the legislative side, like I mentioned, and then we also engage in stewardship projects. And we, we look at, um, opportunities around the state to collaborate with the Forest Service, BLM, um, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, any number of of, um, state and federal and regional groups to support uh, habitat and and wildlife populations. And a few examples of that we've been engaged with this year, um, just, you know, reaching out to regional biologists and to department um, leads in, in the various regions for these agencies. The number one thing that we continually have been that we've heard from these agencies that they need help with are guzzlers. And, um, so our, our work this, uh, spring and summer in, in the state has been largely tied towards guzzler work. Um, it's not the only thing that we've done, but that's what all of the agencies have really strongly asked us for support. And, and part of that is because we're in a a really critical drought year. So these guzzlers are, are vital for, maintaining resiliency in, in some of the wildlife populations. They're not meant to, um, you know, just like massively increase the numbers of, of wildlife, but they do, they add resilience and they, they do extend um, the ability to uh, the forage range of certain animals. So, um, you know, like a bighorn sheep, I believe it's uh, two or three miles they can travel uh, and forage from a water source. So, you know, if, if you've got one water source, 
there's going to be a limited amount of food in that area. And, um, that population can only grow so much or, or consume so much before it's kind of self-regulated. So, uh, most, all of the guzzlers that we've worked on, um, they're, they're all going through permitting. They're all being studied, uh, to make sure that these are not, um, in poor locations that they're not going to hinder wildlife. Uh, pretty much everything that we've worked on have been man, have been natural water sources that were displaced by man. So whether it's a campground that came in, took this water source, there's a, you know, a herd that had traditionally relied on that and they now, um, you know, their water source was displaced. So that's where the guzzler was installed, but these things have a shelf life. They're out, um, exposed to the elements and, and to the sun. And so they break down and they need to be replaced or repaired. There's plumbing issues. There's a lot of times they run dry or you're just bringing water to them. So we've done a lot of work there. Um, actually just two days ago, we completed a project at Camp Pendleton to replace four guzzlers that were destroyed by a wildfire that swept through base. And we worked with game wardens there to identify the, um, the best locations they did. They can, they do studies all the time to make sure that the guzzlers are attracting their target species and uh, working with the game wardens. We actually, through the chapter, we fundraised some of our members donated, we had corporate, corporate partners coming in. Um, and so we purchased four guzzlers to replace those. And then we had about 20 volunteers show up, digging holes, pulling out rocks, installing these things um, just and, and filling up to make sure that for the wildlife on base, there's that added resiliency. There's that water source that's going to reduce the stress and hopefully allow them to make it through another a pretty challenging drought year. So that's kind of an example of, of one thing there. Another cool guzzler project we're working on is with the forest service. And we've partnered with them to uh, a regional biologist had reached out a good friend of mine and, and had been tasked with basically inventorying and managing the guzzlers on national forest land. And so we started in Cleveland uh, they have about 130 guzzlers with very little information on the status of any of them. Uh, even some of the locations are a little bit, um, you know, maybe the coordinates aren't great. So they might be in the region, but they don't know exactly. So there's a lot of information there that um, they need to be able to make sound management decisions and to, to ensure that these guzzlers are in good working order. And a lot of them are in remote areas that are difficult to access and maybe trails have been overgrown or whatnot. So all of our volunteers, we've got about 20 volunteers right now, uh, who all received a handful of coordinates. So whatever their coordinates are, they maybe get five or six in an area. And that's to ensure that we're not just broadcasting locations of all of these guzzlers, uh, so that they're not abused, but each person gets a handful of coordinates to go out, uh, find the guzzler inventory, its status, is there water? Does it need repair? And then we're reporting back to the forest service and phase two of the project will be, uh, reaching out for for maybe some grant funding or corporate partner funding to repair or replace guzzers and then phase three will be to actually go in and do the work and 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 fix them and, and ensure that they're in good working order so that program is being expanded where we were reached out to by a, a biologist in san bernardino national forest so we're, we're also expanding the program to san bernardino and and even uh potentially statewide as other uh regional biologists uh have identified work and it fits into the the ethos and the mission of BHA to get out. Um, we have a hike to hunt program. That's all about fitness and, and being prepared for, uh, the challenge of, of hunting season. And so we're layering the hike to hunt competition with this public lands, 
uh, guzzler inventory and we're just getting people out, getting active, uh, making, you know, adding some fitness, but also supporting this conservation project. And at the same time, I mean, really we're all scouting for, for the upcoming season. So there's, um, you know, there, there's, there's a variety of, of levels to it and it's a, it's a fun project. So, you know, that's a, that's a little bit about kind of what the chapter's up to. I'll, I'll mention one more project that we've done this spring and, um, well, I got two, I got I got to mention two. So one we did in coordination with the BLM, which is a riparian restoration. And this one is just balancing grazing on public lands and, and sensitive wildlife areas. So we just fixed a cattle fence to keep, um, cows out of a very small sensitive riparian area that was getting trampled because the fence had just been degraded and, and fallen down. And, and so we're putting in a we put in a wildlife friendly fence to make sure that um, the wildlife can still get through. There's going to be no issues with them getting trapped or, or stuck on the fencing. And, um, so, you know, working with different agencies, working with different groups, different projects, but a lot of stuff relating to water in the state. I mean, that's just such a critical, critical issue right now. And the last one I'll mention is something that that's actually coming up next weekend and this upcoming project in Castle Mountains National Monument. And that's another guzzler project. This is through the, the National Park Service oversees this land. And um, that one's been permitted through NPS to do some repairs. We're going to be digging a trench in about 110 degree weather. So if anyone's up for a fun weekend in the desert, come on out. But uh, the, re the reason why this one's particularly interesting is that we're we're also working on a legislative side to restore hunting access to Castle Mountains National Monument. When it was initially declared a national monument in 2018, I believe it was 2018, maybe 2016, um, hunting was somewhat in inadvertently left out from the jurisdictional change from the Mojave National Preserve. And uh, we're working with legislators and other groups to maintain the existing protections for castle mountains, but to transfer the land back to the Mojave national preserve so that the, so that people can still go out there and recreate and hunt, um, and utilize this landscape because there's, there's support for that, um, from a scientific management standpoint. And, uh, there's some, there's some really great public land out there to access with, with, um, some great deer populations and, and quail and, um, some other upland games. So I'm Chucker. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot happening there. That's just the, the superficial dive, but I won't, I won't take up two more just talking about projects because or, or events. And I mean, um, there's, there's just a ton that we can talk about and that's just the stewardship side. I mean, the chapter also, we've done a 3d archery shoot to make sure that people are, 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 are ready for the season. We do, um, rifle, days where we'll sight in, help people sight in their rifles and make sure that they understand their equipment. And there's all the layers of, of hunting and fishing and skills-based seminars that we're trying to incorporate for, for our members and, and for uh, the community. So, I mean, that all sounds amazing, especially for a guy that hunts. And uh, I definitely agree with the idea of going out and putting your best foot forward to try to get land back, you know, land access back, because I don't think there is a better way of because a lot of people going back to that idea of they think that hunters are a bunch of beer drinking beer bellied quad riders that just tear everything up and destroy everything and leave you know trash all over you you go back and you say look I'm not and we're not as a group we're not and 
then people, especially, you know, a senator or a somebody in the legislative arm of California might have that idea of hunters. And if you can change their mind, there's so many things that, you know, so many doors that open from just kind of changing their perspective on who hunters and outdoorsmen might be. And again, it all sounds amazing. All I'm thinking is how, even how do I, how does Finn and Forage, how do the people that follow us get that same, or at least some of that focus and throw it towards some of the things that we're looking at? Um, Obviously, number one, I'm just going to go ahead and take it from you is that we need to be involved with the BHA like if they're I'm sure if your guys's membership is going hey we need to focus on the ocean you guys will pay attention to that but is there any way to kind of put things in front of the BHA and kind of go look maybe you guys could look at a couple of these issues as well yeah that's that's like the best question so BHA is grassroots and and that's the beauty of this organization is that there there is a very um, sort of democratic um, in a sense process for for being engaged and and for developing policy and we 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 just have um, a really great network of individuals that um, you know we are we are always open to hearing different perspective hearing hearing you know what's going on and and making policy decisions. Uh, where where they fit into BHA's focus. So the one thing that I will say is there are certain issues that we don't engage on. Um, definitely not talking about the ocean or anything. I'm just saying there's certain things that we we don't engage on because they don't fall under that sort of the laser focus of, of advocating for wild public lands, waters, and wildlife. And um, that's where the only, the only if, if it was an issue that it wasn't something under our focus, then we wouldn't maybe necessarily go there. But I would say for, for someone who has, who wants to get involved, for someone who has an idea or knows about a policy or a conservation project or a public access issue, I mean, the best way to do that is to get involved. And at least for BHA, um, in California, we've broken down the state into nine regions. And within those nine regions, we have three different positions and there will be sub positions as there's more interest. But um, we have a regional director, we have a policy lead, and we have an events lead. And so those different positions oversee the activities of that region. And we've, we've taken the, we've carved up the state the same way the California Natural Resources Agency has in some of their recent discussions, um, just to keep things on the same page. So as they're talking about policy initiatives, we can kind of have these same frameworks and they're, they're relatively broken down by geography. I mean, r- very roughly. So, um, the different regions that we have in the state and the different leadership structure um, allows us to have basically eyes and ears on the ground. Um, we have a habitat watch program that links a representative to a forest. And we, we have a, a communication structure that we're building between the forest service biologist and our habitat watch volunteer. And so that person is, there's just an open line of communication on the ground in these regions in a localized area. And then that information um, as there's issues and as there's opportunities to engage in conservation projects, that structure just kind of keeps coming up. So as these things happen on the ground, the, the information is funneled to our chapter board and we have um, a great board and we're still building it out. Um, and we have openings in all of these chapter leadership areas and, and in our board and 
So we're, we're, we're open a hundred percent to anyone and everyone that wants to get involved and, um, any idea for a project or, or, or policy or legislation, um, we want to hear it and, and we want to engage on that and have a discussion and, and see if it falls in line with BHA's brand and mission to, um, and where we're want to advocate and spend our, our time and resources. So that's going to be a really great way to get engaged. And, um, also we want to look at what partner organizations are doing, you know, what Finn and Forge is doing, what some of these other institutions and, um, universities are doing and, and, and support these types of restoration projects and, and add in, um, layers to our events. So it just popped up and this might again, be something that, uh, isn't the right question for you, but when you said that you have representatives kind of pay attention to each individual forest and be in communication with the management there, do you guys do any of that for any sort of coastline or anything like, uh, along those lines? So for, for the different regions, those, um, you know, the North coast region, the San Francisco Bay area region, the central coast and San Diego, um, those policy leads and events leads and regional directors, they will absolutely be engaged in, um, ocean issues. So, um, whatever's happening in that region, hundred percent will fall under the purview of that, um, sort of leadership structure. And that's just a loose, you know, there's nothing like anyone at any place in the state can be engaged on any issue. This is just a way to try to localize things because most often you know what's happening in your backyard. Maybe not California is so massive. You may not know what's happening in the desert or in the North coast region or in the Sierra Nevada. And so that's the the goal of this, but um, every member can get engaged on any issue and, and bring up um, ideas and, and have dialogue on any of these types of things. But a hundred percent, the issues that are facing our oceans will be involved in, in this type of leadership structure. And, and I think we can probably only expand on that. And in those regions, um, as we have the capacity and as we have support, well, I think we'll probably add some positions that will be more dedicated to just the Marine and coastal issues because there are so many nuances and there is so much going on there. So at this point, we're, we're trying to lay the foundation and then we want to continue to add positions in these regions as there's interest. So we won't just stop at regional director, policy lead and events lead. We'll, we'll continue to, to add people. And, and I think the last thing that I'll say on that is that everyone's volunteering. So if it doesn't sound like something that you're interested in, don't do it. Um, but there's probably something, there's probably an opportunity for something that you are interested in, you're passionate about, you have a particular skill set, whether it's, um, the digital media side of things, or it's the events coordinating or it's the policy or it's writing or maybe just getting your hands dirty and ripping up some invasive uh, weeds or um, help them with a fence removal project whatever it might be you know like we want to we want just people to dive in where they want to dive in and that's it like um, the goal is not to have people burn out the goal is not to fit square pegs around holes it's like what you're passionate about what you want to do we want to bring that into the to the community and then not push people to do stuff that they don't want to do. Absolutely. Uh, volunteers need to keep volunteering or else there won't be any. Um, so, and as, as a BHA member, I, I got connected with you because I'm just one of those people who finds emails and just starts sending them away. Um, as a BHA member though, I know I got, I, I submitted my money 
and I got a magazine in the mail every once in a while. But I can even say that other than your your Facebook page and being in contact with you, sometimes I'm kind of at a loss at how the whole system works. Is there a way that if somebody said, hey, I'm going to pay my money today, right? How do I find out more about what's going on and just start getting involved? So I would say the best ways to do that, um, and this I'll give you all the different layers because some people don't do social media and I respect that tremendously. Um, so we try to keep things on our social, whether it's action alerts, um, you know, on our Instagram, we've got a bunch of links to the events that were happening or action alerts or policy initiatives. And, um, also on our Facebook group, we'll post things like that, but if you're not a social media person and, uh, I certainly have to take my step away at times and that's really refreshing to do so. I would also monitor the California chapter page of the website where we'll post blog pieces, news articles, um, events, and uh, just issues that, that, that are facing the state. Also, that's where you'll find the volunteer leadership structure and the regional breakdown of the state and the open positions in your region. Um, or you can just, you know, just find our contact and shoot this an email or question for, for anything that you might have. And then the third thing is uh, just to make sure that you sign up for our newsletter and um, California at backcountryhunters.org is our email. So if you're not on there, you can always sign up on the website. You can always shoot us an email there. The newsletter goes out once a month and that has kind of a recap of projects that we did, what's happening, um, what's, you know, what's coming up ahead, some of the big picture policy initiatives. Um, and, you know, I think to your point, there's a lot that happens behind all of that on that outward facing front that, um, you know, I want to continue to try and help people to have awareness of, and just to be able to be engaged there. So, um, for the most part, I think joining the regional team is going to be the most valuable way because for BHA volunteers, we have a platform called Basecamp and it's, uh, it's where the gears are turning, um, it's where everything is happening behind the scenes. It's, it's where all the volunteers are, are collaborating and sharing ideas and, um, you know, planning events and, and, and having dialogue about uh, different conservation issues. And so if anyone is, is remotely interested in getting involved with the chapter, I highly recommend uh, reaching out to us, to our email, to myself personally, and uh, we'll get you plugged into Basecamp. And then you can see kind of where some of these things are, are happening. You can see a lot of the issues that we're flagging and it might just be something where, you know, someone hears about something and say, I don't know if this is a BHA issue, but it sounds like it might be. And then they'll throw it up there and then there'll be, there's a debate and people will talk about it and we'll get to the bottom of some of these things and really um, figure out where we need to be engaged. Now that sounds like a great way to be on top of everything that's going on and also be more directly involved. I know sometimes when you're in groups, you're just looking for an email or a ping on Facebook or whatever it is and trying to get together with people you know. But that online group sounds like a great way to stay on top of it and also be connected with everybody, not just a couple people. Um, the one thing that if you're comfortable kind of going into it, I would just like to wrap up with your thoughts on how everything on the 3030 legislation might be looking. I know there's a lot of people who are really concerned about that. And it was one of the reasons I actually got connected with you guys is because a lot of people in our community was like, 
we're never going to spearfish again. Um, so you guys are huge on the legislation side and I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on where that's headed. And also if there's anything that the individual of California can do to kind of make sure that goes our way. Yeah. So 30 by 30 for anyone that doesn't know really quickly, it's just the initiative to conserve 30% of lands and waters by 2030. There's an executive order. There's a Gavin Newsom's issued an order on that. Um, and so, you know, there's initially, there's a lot of, uh, resistance to, there's a bill AB 3030 that came out in the legislature last year. And there's a lot of resistance and, and the, and a fear that, you know, this was going to be basically locking up the places that we like to hunt fish and, and access to public lands. And, um, you know, I, I think right now we're in the absolutely very beginning formative fledgling stages of the discussion. So, uh, right now it's up to, it's up to sportsmen and women and, and anyone who's interested in this issue to make their voice heard. And it, it's really an incredible opportunity to, you know, conserve, which is the real crux of the issue is what does that mean? What are we talking about when we say conserve? Um, are we saying, you know, no access, no human imprint. Are we saying wilderness area? Are we saying national park? There's just so many layers of, of jurisdictions, MPAs. There's all these different MPA stratifications. So what we want to do is we want uh, the community to basically get involved in this and say that, um, you know, we want hunters and anglers to have a voice at the table. We support the initiative because it's an incredible opportunity to uh, conserve or to acquire lands to hunt and fish on in the state and to make sure that those lands are being managed uh, using the best practices that we're utilizing agencies that we're funding the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Wildlife Conservation Board. And we're providing the, the resources for these groups to be able to uh, have effective policies and to allow for um, sustainable hunting and fishing on public lands. And, and that's why it's really important to have a voice in the 30 by 30 discussion to advocate for that approach and to to find common ground with some groups that are also engaged in it. Well, and I think that because yes, yeah, so that's that's what everybody wants, right? That's when you read that bill, you're like, oh, okay, well, this will give us that opportunity. Um, I think that one of the, especially in California, right? Like people tell me, even just in our elections, they're like, well, your vote counts, and it's like, eh, does it? Because there's such a kind of thought that all the votes come from the cities, right? They all come from these people who aren't really connected with some of these very large areas that are filled with hunters, fishermen, and usually the people who feel a little left out on the vote. Do you feel, just from from your standpoint, from a BHA, you know, higher up member, that there is actually a good chance that if everybody jumped in, you know, joined groups like that, got behind you guys, that that we could be heard as a group and actually make sure that we don't just get locked out. Yeah, I, I do. And I think that, um, the, the voice of the community is really strong. And I think that the more that we can find common ground across groups. So, you know, maybe there's a group that's dedicated to, um, just water quality. Maybe there's a group that's dedicated to public access and, in the wilderness or, um, maybe, you know, the more that we can find like the layers of common ground on this to where, uh, we can all say that, yes, having 
science-based management of wildlife and, and hunting and fishing and, and public access to public lands and waters, the more that we can, you know, all find this type of common ground, I think we can absolutely be successful. And then when you look at, you know, the response to the, to the hunting and fishing community, it was probably more the hunting community to the bear hunting ban that happened in California. I mean, that the, the petitions that went out, the, the amount of support that came out or opposition really to, to that bill, um, that was like struck down pretty instantly. So, um, I think in general, um, our community has not had the strongest voice. And I think we're, we're understanding that, you know, we do need to, to be engaged in these types of issues because, um, you know, there are, we are losing the ability to, to hunt and fish in places. Um, it's an absolute reality. There are groups that don't want hunting and fishing and, you know, we want to advocate for that, uh, the, the, the good scientific management of, of, of our resources. And that's why it's really important to be engaged in this and not to sort of check out and say like, Oh, well, this is, this is a land grab, or this is just like a, you know, like a whatever movement to stop hunting and fishing. And, you know, it's, it's super important to be sure that we're having the conversation um, from the, the right standpoint and from looking at public lands and, and being good stewards of public lands to be sure that uh, we do have a seat at the table when, when the, con- the conversations continue and evolve with 30 by 30. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm hopeful too. I mean, maybe it's just being that we're two young guys and we're looking at this with, you know, hope, but I'm on your side. I, I definitely think that we need to get together and create a voice because maybe that's something that the younger generation understands a little bit more because just taking it back to like when, and not to go on too much of a tangent, but obviously the older group, they didn't have social media. They didn't have this massive power to put out one statement or at least a, you know, show a volume of a statement. It was kind of like, send your letters to your representatives and hope they actually open them. Um, so I'm hoping it's changing. I'm hoping that, and I'm hoping the sentiment's changing, that we can all get behind groups like BHA and then also just kind of watch and pay attention to where we can make our voices heard and keep this state. It's a beautiful state. There's some beautiful land and there's a lot of opportunity to, to take and feed our families and do all that kind of stuff. So hopefully we can keep that open, but thank you for coming on today. Um, I hope that it kind of, if anybody here hasn't heard of BHA, it kind of gives you an idea of what they do would you mind giving everyone the address to the website if they want to sign up? Uh, backcountryhunters.org is the, the URL. Awesome. Well, yeah, shorten that one up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's not, <laughs> from a personal standpoint, it's not a ton of money. And even if you don't have time to be involved, being a member is going to help a lot for things like projects, for things like the legislative arm. They do have full-time employees like Devin, that uh, makes sure that when we all have to be at work and, you know, focus on our families and our lives, that somebody's out there focusing on making sure our voices are still being heard and we still have a spot at the table when we decide to show up. So. I'll just say on the, on the membership side as well, uh, we do have uh, a veteran membership, military membership. That's only $15. And, um, you know, we, we're doing a lot uh, as well, trying to bring in the, the veteran community with our armed forces initiative to um, just like a BHJ is an organization that seeks to 
engage every single voice in the hunting and fishing community. So no matter um, who you are, where you come from, what you do, we want you to be a part of the mission and to help us fight for public lands, waters, and wildlife. And uh, just on that veteran piece, we've got a an event this this Saturday where we're taking uh, an active duty and three and two veterans out, and we're teaching them how to spearfish. And uh, we're going to go through a whole conservation rundown. Um, we're going to talk about some issues facing the ocean. We're going to talk about um, species identification, safety, and then we're going to do uh, a barbecue afterwards. Hopefully, if we're successful, I do have a a bluefin tuna collar sitting on a in a brine right now, just in case the visibility is not good. But um, we do a whole lot of cool events in the state. A lot of it's really fun. We do pine nights. We get together and drink beer and uh, talk about some of these issues and, and celebrate some of the, the successes of stewardship projects. So I just want to say thanks. Thanks again for having me on and um, really enjoy and, and appreciate the things that Finn and Forge are doing. And it's been great working with you guys. So I look forward to collaborating on some events here in the future and, and hopefully we can, we can do some stuff in person and get together and have a good time on our public lands waters. Absolutely. I'm already looking forward to hosting the, the next pint night. I have like all these ideas for what we can teach some of your members. So enjoy the uh, the time in the water and I hope you guys have a very successful day and get to barbecue up some fish. <laughs>